Mary Haddow is Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Today she has a thought for us about giving, particularly the idea of paying it forward. The reporter raced down the, the highway in his brand new BMW, driving nearly 20 miles over the legal limit. He flew round the corner and slammed his foot down on the brakes. The car had barely come to a stop before the reporter had jumped out of his seat and had made a dive behind a line of police cars that surrounded a beautiful home. What did I miss, he asked. Has anything happened yet? Do you think he's going to shoot her? What do you want to say on record? Come on, just say something, one line. He begged on and on with his arm outstretched, holding the tape recorder firmly in his hand. The policemen and women shook their heads in annoyance. And in those moments when the police had taken their eye off the subject because they were distracted, they discovered that the suspect had got into a four-wheel drive just outside the house. And before they could react, the suspect sped off, leaving only one single reminder of his crime behind. In his frantic quest to escape, he'd run into the reporter's brand new BMW. And while the collision did not seem to harm the four-wheel drive, it had written off the reporter's BMW. And then something incredible happened. From a nearby home, an older gentleman emerged in his doorway and he was out ready to walk his dog. He walked towards the reporter who was still standing in a trance, staring at his beloved car. And when the man was within a few yards, he stopped and he said those incredible words, those incredibly annoying words. Having car problems, are we? You might say that, the reporter replied with an equal amount of disbelief and frustration in his voice. And then the man did something that no one saw coming. He reached into his rain jacket, he pulled out a set of keys and he threw them to the reporter with these words, take mine. And he motioned towards his driveway where the reporter saw a beautiful and brand new Lexus staring back at him. The reporter didn't know what to do. His initial responses were not surprising at all. What? Are you crazy? Is this some kind of setup, some kind of joke or something? Do you think this is funny? The man just shook his head back and forth, dismissing the question. He said simply, take it, it's yours. And with that, he turned and he began walking away. But the reporter, still not sure what to do, asked the question that each of us would ask in those situations. Why? He shouted. Why? And when the man heard the question, he paused for just a moment and he turned round and he said just three words, three words that changed the reporter's life. Pay it forward. It's an odd story, certainly. And if you watch films at all, you might recognise it as a scene from a movie called Pay It Forward. And the story continues with the reporter asking questions of the man, which he initially refused to answer. But eventually he does tell his story. You see, just a month before, the man's daughter had had an asthma attack. 
in the middle of the night. And he'd taken her to the hospital, but there were no nurses and doctors available. They were all so busy dealing with all the other things that were going on round about. And as she sat wheezing, literally gasping for breath, he could find no one to help her. In fact, it seemed like the only person who even noticed the girl was this guy that was sitting across from her. And the father disliked him immediately. He had a gunshot wound. He was covered in tattoos. He was swearing left, right and centre. Finally, a nurse and a doctor came to take this young man away. And then it happened. He looked at the girl and he did an incredible thing. He said, no, take the girl first. And before the doctor and the nurse could resist, the man began screaming at them to take the girl. And a moment later, they gave in and the man's daughter received the medical attention she needed. Now, the father was obviously very grateful, and he tracked the man down later in the night to ask him how he could repay him, and the young man simply replied, pay it forward. The reporter could not believe his ears when he heard the story, and sensing a front-page headline, he tracked down the young man to hear his story. And he soon found out that the young man was now serving time in prison for drug dealing. He told the reporter about how he'd been chased by the law before, but he'd been saved by a 60-year-old homeless woman who lived out of her car. She'd helped him in a time of need. And when he asked her what she wanted in return, how she should be repaid, she had said, pay it forward. And of course... The reporter used all his resources to track down this homeless woman. And once he found her, she told him about the daughter who had forgiven her. For you see, the woman had been a lifetime alcoholic. Her addiction had caused her to do some horrible things, including being a bad mother to her only child. But one day she told the reporter her daughter found her and said, Mom, I love you. And those were words that she thought she would never hear. And they changed her life. And when she asked her daughter why she deserved such an undeserved gift and how she could ever repair, the daughter responded, pay it forward. And finally, the reporter thought, I now have come to the beginning of the story. I just have to talk with the daughter and write the story. And my name is made. But when he found the daughter, she told him that she was not the beginning of the story of pay it forward, but rather it was her 11-year-old son. He'd come up with the idea for a school social studies project. His assignment had been to change the world. And incredibly enough, when he told his classmates his idea to do three amazing acts of love for three different people and have them pay the love forward rather than paying back. His classmates had laughed at him. In fact, they'd called him a fool. They'd called him a fool for believing that love could change the world. They called him a fool for believing that justice and caring for people were more important than power and prestige and money. Unfortunately, This is how we have often thought about stewardship, trying to pay God back as if we could, because that payment is so great we simply cannot make it. 
And more importantly, it's a payment that God does not ask for. Instead, God calls us to pay it forward. Pay God's love forward in a world that really needs to know about Jesus Christ. We've been called to pay it forward, pay God's love forward with our words, with our time, with our energy, and yes, even with our money. Pay it forward as a people of God set free by the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay it forward. Giving begins with God, but it shouldn't stop there. Judy Gentis have produced a series of talks about Bible characters. Today, Judy tells the story of Mary of Magdala. Jesus has a way of replacing chaos with clarity. I'll begin my story on how he entered into my life and how things have changed since. My name is Mary from a village called Magdala on the shores of Lake Galilee. Its name means Tower of Fishes and it certainly is that. 
because that's the most important part of what is done here. Before I met Jesus, communicating was a problem. So many voices were clamoring to be heard and speak. It was hard to even focus my thoughts, and everything I saw seemed to be confused and jumbled. It felt like I was drowning. I first saw Jesus teaching in Capernaum. When he was finished, he went around the people and laid hands on them, and they were healed. He came towards me. I looked into his eyes and tried to speak, but it came out as nonsense. Other rabbis had tried before, but had given up. But he was different. He started to pray for me and ordered the evil spirits to leave my mind. While he was praying, it felt like brackish water was being poured out of my mouth. When he had finished, I no longer heard those voices that had been a part of me all my life. It wasn't easy initially after that. I had to learn who I was without the voices, as if I'd been reborn and had to learn to speak all over again. But I learned quickly, stringing together thoughts and words as I had never been able to before. I had a lot of help from people who followed Jesus, such as Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's chief steward. One day, Jesus started talking about going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Not only that, but he began to say that he was going to be arrested, killed, and then raised from the dead. I don't think any of us believed it. He surely couldn't mean that and wasn't just going to give himself over. However, he would not be dissuaded from going to the very place which was the most dangerous to him. So I and many others followed him into Jerusalem, and true to his word, it happened just as he said. One of our own group, Judas Iscariot, went to the ruling council and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave precise information on where and when Jesus was to have some prayer time after the Passover meal in the garden called Gethsemane, which appropriately means the olive press. I thought surely they wouldn't execute a man who'd done nothing wrong. I was convinced this could not possibly happen. Our spiritual leaders were supposed to represent God. Well, I was wrong. They held a trial. It was nothing but a mockery of justice, complete with liars and perjurers, and deferred the judgment to the Roman Pilate, who really didn't care what happened or to whom, so long as it served their occupation of the land. This Roman condemned Jesus to be crucified, at the same time setting free a convicted murderer named Barabbas. And yes, I was present at the execution with Mary, his mother, among others. It was horrific, watching God's creation kill its creator. What do I mean by that? I had realized that Jesus wasn't just a man. He was God in the form of a man. But that's another story, and maybe I'll tell it another time. Despite my devastation that day, there was still something I could do. I watched them take Jesus down from the cross and followed to see where they would take him so that I could anoint him with herbs and spices. That was our custom. I was determined that they would not steal his dignity even though they had robbed him of his life. They took him and placed him in a tomb on Joseph of Arimathea's land. So the next day early in the morning, I went there with the herbs and spices, but the huge stone had been rolled away from the entrance. I went in and saw two men dressed in white seated on the slab where the body should have been. I had been weeping, and they asked me why. I said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Then I turned around, and there was another man, who I took to be the gardener, and he asked me, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So I answered him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. He said, Mary. 
And suddenly I knew, Rabbi, said I. It, it was him, Jesus. He was alive. My, my joy was, well, I just can't describe it. I must have been beside myself because he then said, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. I ran as fast as I could and told the disciples that the Lord had risen from the dead. He was alive and he had showed himself and spoken to me. Not all the disciples believed me, but two of them, Peter and John, ran as fast as they could to the tomb and found everything just as I had said, empty. I think everyone was trying to make sense out of the chaotic events of the past week. But when Jesus appeared, everything changed. He repaces chaos with clarity. And in this world that we live in, the clarity he brings is most welcome. This comes from the Gospels in the Bible. Surrender 
your baby boy will one day rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect land? And the sleeping child you're holding is the great Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots, and today he talks about dialects. I wonder if you sometimes don't catch every word that I say, because I'm not from around these parts, you know. You may have noticed my accent, Glasgow through and through. But most areas have got accents and dialects, and I love it all. You know, words that nobody outside that area knows. I think it's a real shame that so few people use the old Scots words. Although I did hear someone talking about stravaking the internet. (laughs) I don't know what it means either. Go and ask a very old Highland granny. But language is just exactly the same as faith in God. You either use it every day or it just fades away. Incomprehensible blessings to Luthanu. Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 127. It's followed by Billy Joel's lullaby, sung by the Voices Eight and the King's Singers. Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, The watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate.
Deirdre Powery spoke at Pitlochry Baptist Church about three women. She started with Rahab, who we hear about today. In Matthew's account of the genealogy of Jesus, he mentions only four women apart from Mary. And in verses four to six, we find three of them. Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, whose actual name isn't given, but we know it's Bathsheba. Now, even a basic knowledge of their stories makes us wonder why on earth Matthew chose to include them. I mean, he doesn't mention Sarah or Leah or Rebecca. Instead, he names these three women whose stories are not ones of waltzing through life with a smile and a song. Rahab was a prostitute. Now, we're all grown-ups here. We know what that means. But what makes a woman turn to prostitution? When you hear people glibly calling it the oldest profession, almost as if it's got a historically honourable tradition, in fact, the very existence of prostitution and the fact that it's as prevalent today as it was in Rahab's time is a cause for shame. Shame on us. Because despite the silly dramas and the novels written about so-called happy hookers, girls resort to prostitution because they believe their choices are nil. Because someone has convinced them that they're worthless and nobody has told them how precious they really are. And the price they pay for selling their bodies is the shrinking of their spirits. Go to any city in this country and try and find a prostitute who is sober or drug-free or wasn't abused when she was a wee girl. There really aren't that many of them. Shame propels them towards a life in the sex industry and shame keeps them there. And why would it be any different in Rahab's time? We learn that she has a mother and a father and siblings and other relatives, but Rahab lives alone, unprotected by her father or brothers, at the mercy of the men who knock on her door, with no husband, no protector. Her name is Mud. Her name's worse than Mud. Yet it's here, in the lineage that leads to our Saviour. Why? I mean, the early church could so easily have rubbed out her name, so... Why is it still there? Rahab was a Gentile and she was an outcast. But she had heard of this God of the Israelites. Well, let's be honest, she was around strange men in Jericho in a way that respectable young women never would be. And she knew that this God was the one true God. She called him the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. But what transforms Rahab from common prostitute to ancestor of Christ? Only one thing. Only one thing can lift Rahab from the dirt and link her to the divine, and that is God's grace. Rahab is given a chance to put her faith into action. Joshua sends two spies to Jericho to get the lie of the land. They pitch up at Rahab's house and stay the night. The king of Jericho gets wind of this and orders Rahab to turn over the spies. Let's pause there. This is the moment where Rahab's destiny changes forever. Suddenly, there's a fork in the road ahead. For perhaps the first time in her life, Rahab has a choice. She can play meek and small and safe and do the best to save her own skin or she can take a real leap of faith and risk it all. 
And it's in that tension between the two paths, between the two options, between the two lives that God's grace breaks through. Rahab steps out into the unknown. She steps out of the gutter and into the light. She sends the king's men off on a false trail and hides Joshua's spies in return for their promise that she and her parents and entire family are spared when Joshua's armies overthrow Jericho. When? Not if. Because she knows what's coming. That the Israelites are going to conquer Jericho is a certainty. She says, our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight. Yet in that moment, Rahab herself is filled with courage to ask this favour of these military conquerors, a low-down, shop-soiled prostitute. And not just to save herself, but she asks for her parents and her whole family to be spared too. Her family that had cast her out, her father who had long ago ceased to be her protector, her sisters who were ashamed to look upon her. This black sheep of the family is the subject of such amazing courage and love and faith. Rahab and her family were saved. And she went on to marry an Israelite and have her son, Boaz. Her life was transformed. Would we have chosen someone like that to be an ancestor of Jesus? Probably not. And there must have been times before this when Rahab looked at her life and wept. And yet here she is. She received God's transforming grace and was given a precious part to play in his plan. Through him, her life gained value and worth. In the midst of fear, sleaze and chaos, one little broken woman was the recipient of the grace of a God she'd only heard rumours about. Long before the time your eyes first saw the day And everything I've done has been to help you on the way But you took all that you wanted and Then at last you took your leave And traded off a kingdom for the lies that you've believed And although you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears Although you've gone so far from me and wasted all these years Even though my name's been spattered by the mire in which you lie I take you back this instant if you turn to me and cry I don't sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love. It's all yours if you'll come home again. Come back to your senses And you see who's been to blame Remember all the good things That 
were yours with just my name And then don't waste another thought Before you change the way you're bound I'll be running out to meet you If you'll only turn around Just turn around I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't care who's made your bed I already gave my life to set you free There's no sin you could imagine That is stronger than my love It's all yours if you come home again I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't care who's made your bed I already gave my life set you free There's no sin you could imagine that is strong